when you work out, you don't start running a marathon in two weeks. You're going to run, you know, a mile and then two miles and you're going to run a walk. And then on Saturday, you might run three miles and you're going to take a break and you work right. So look at the Bible as a spiritual discipline, not checking a box. And the, the, the thing that I often tell people is not that you should, it's that you can. It's not that you have to, it's that you get to. Well, hey there. If we have not yet met, my name is Alex Shedd. I'm the founder of Path for Growth, and this is the Path for Growth podcast. Now, as a business, we exist to help impact-driven leaders step into who they were created to be so that others benefit and God is glorified. And this podcast is just another iteration of how that mission comes to life. Now, today's episode is going to be part two in our two-part conversation with Dr. Michael Easley. Dr. Easley is the former president of the Moody Bible Institute. He's now the pastor at Stonebridge Church, and he's truly one of the most studied Bible teachers that I've ever had the privilege of learning from, listening to, and now getting to meet. And in part one of this series, which I really would recommend that you listen to, the whole goal was to answer why the Bible is a book that's worth paying attention to and worth attending to and worth reading daily, whether you're a Christian or not. And now today, hopefully having gotten you bought in on why the Bible is so important as part of your routine, because what we said in part one is that exposure to truth guards against insanity. Well, today we're going to talk about the practicality of it. How do we make this not just something we do occasionally? How do we make it something we do consistently? Because you hear us say this all the time, the things you do daily create the person and the leader that you become permanently. This is going to be such a practical episode, and Dr. Easley is truly one of the best in terms of taking what can be a really intimidating book and making it simple and approachable. So I want to challenge you, listen to this episode, not just for the intent of entertainment, listen to this episode with the intent to take action, because there's so many things in this that are really, really actionable. But before jumping into all of the practicality, I first wanted to ask Dr. Easley, what are the mistakes that people often make whenever they get excited about reading and studying the Bible? Number one are these Bible reading programs. I'm going to read the Bible in a year. And a lot of well-intentioned people say, I'm going to do that for 22, I'm going to do it for 21, I'm going to do 23. And they last about two or three days, maybe a week or two, and then they just go, I can't keep up. Um, and so you set an unrealistic goal. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, and it's really probably like number 10, but it's important, is the version of the Bible. Because certain Bibles are easier to read. For example, the King's English is very cumbersome for the modern reader. And again, we don't read. We're, we're reading right now at about a fifth to sixth grade level in America. The NIV was published for a seventh grade level reader. The King's English and the New American Standard, the Bible I prefer, is gauged for a 12th grade level reader. So already you're handicapped when you pick up the Bible. So I wouldn't use these as study Bibles, but for reading the New Living Translation, the, I mean, there are all kinds of Bibles, all kinds of online Bibles. You want a Bible that's approachable. Mm. Now, we can talk about study later on, but just to read it. And uh, uh, Crossway Publishing has done something interesting where they've taken all the numbers and verses and paragraph breaks out, and they've put it together like a Grisham book. Now, it's, just, it's still the Bible. And it comes in this beautiful slipcase, hard cloth covered thing. It 
but now you're reading like eight volumes. So on the one hand, I love the the feel and the margin because the Bible is the only book you own that has verses and, and these little marks at the bottom and this column in the middle that what's that about? And these headings and these bold, ah, you know, so a book that's easier to read would be, again, number one, don't set a goal to try to do something Herculean. And number two, find a translation that you enjoy reading. Dang, I love that first one too, because I've totally been guilty of like, <laughs> unless I read this much in a month, then I'm not You're actually toast. a believer. Yeah, well, and yeah, it's yeah. like, golly, it's like, man, you, like you can read a verse and be a believer if you actually internalize yeah. the verse. And so what is an achievable goal? What is something that people that Good. are very new to this and are, would not be reading three, four, five times a week right now right. That, that you would say, man, start here. This is achievable. There are uh, daily disciplines. Every human, well, most people do. You get up, you brush your teeth, you make your bed, you get dressed, you shave, maybe you put makeup on, maybe you get dressed. You might have, you know, whatever your little breakfast thing is on the way out the door. I, I try to help people look at the look at the Bible as one of those daily disciplines. Uh, Fred Smith said something years ago in an article: uh, uh, maturity is turning discipline into reflex. And I love that because I used to be somewhat of an athlete, and um, five back surgeries later, I can't do much, but. Uh, when you work out, you don't start, we talked about it last time, running a marathon in two weeks. You're going to run, you know, a mile and then two miles and you're going to run a walk. And then on Saturday, you might run three miles and you're going to take a break and you work right. So look at the Bible as a spiritual discipline, not checking a box. Mm. And the, the the thing that I often tell people is not that you should, it's that you can. It's not that you have to, it's that you get to. Now, when I was in college, Alex, I start, heard this statistic that if you do something for 21 days, it becomes a habit. <laughs> you ever heard this? Oh, yeah, I've heard it. So I set my alarm at 5 o'clock, and I got up every morning at 5 o'clock. I bought a $20 coffee pot. I didn't like coffee. I didn't drink coffee, but I had to get a coffee pot. I bought a $20 coffee pot living in this rental house in college. And I had the coffee made, and I take a quick shower, and I sit down with a cup of coffee. I didn't have central heat. I wrap up my sleeping bag in my parka, and I had my Bible. And by God, I was going to read my Bible every day. 21 days, 5 o'clock without fail, got up. The 22nd day, I no more wanted to get up at 5 o'clock and make that coffee and read my Bible than I did the first time. <laughs> Turns out there's not a magic line at 21 days. I yeah. did this for years, and I guilted and shamed 3 out of 7, 5 out of 7, 4 out of 7, 7 out of 7. You're not a Christian, as you intimated. And I tell people, I did this for three years, and one day it clicked. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. It's not that I should, it's that I can. And uh, I tell people, th think of your relationship with God like a good friendship. Well, if you and I were to become friends, mm. really good friends. We're we, not quite yet, but we, when we... Well, <laughs> we, we would need two things. Yeah. Something in common and time. Mm. I, I reduce a friendship to something in common and time. For example, I've got audiophile friends. I'm a little bit of an audiophile, and I have very, you know, cool stuff at home and headphone systems and whatnot. And I've got friends that they're my go-to. We have something in common, and we spend time together. 
anything in life that you do, if you're, if you're, a, you know, a, a lot of women today work out. My wife and I are marvel at young young moms who just work out insatiably, and you know how they do it. Friends, how they become friends? Working out, post pregnancy, two or three kids. They want to get back in shape. They got something in common, and they over time work out. And that is far more successful than trying to lose your weight and work out in isolation, mm-hmm. which is why Peloton, for example, works. Yeah, right. It's pretty brilliant. Something business in model. common. Yep, that's right. Athletes working out and time together. So, the Bible is our thing we have in common with God. Mm. I need time. Mm. So I look at opening this as cultivating my relationship with Jesus Christ. I mentioned our last time together. We need a better picture of who this Jesus is, and he is my God, Savior, Forgiver, Judge, all those things, but he calls me my friend if I do what he commanded me. Interesting, the Bible never says, I get to call Jesus my friend, but we do anyway. But um, the scripture, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. So think of him as a personal relationship that you're cultivating. You need time with him, and you've got the common interest in your pocket, on your phone, or a real Bible. That's so helpful. Okay, you already got kind of into the translations. If someone is reading it for the first time, and we coincide with people that maybe even grew up in the church, but they said, man, my dose of the Bible has been on Sundays. I don't read during the week. And they're saying, man, I kind of want to. What would be the right translation for that person that's just starting? They're just saying, I would love to just establish a habit of reading. And then what would be the correct translation for someone that's saying, okay, I'm ready to start getting into studying. I'm reading it now, and I want to go deeper and more intensive with regard to how I'm learning about it. Super, uh, super simply, there are two primary categories of Bibles. There's called formal equivalency and dynamic equivalency. Formal is a very, there's no, no such thing as word for word translation. We could talk about that if you want to, but you're, you're, you're as close to the word for word as you possibly can. Greek and Hebrew, Old Testament, Hebrew, New Testament. Uh, so the ESV, the NASB, which is my preferred Bible, the King James Bible, those Bibles are more of a formal equivalency. We're trying to be accurate to the text, which is why they're wooden, why they're a little more hard to read for the sixth grade educated American brain. The dynamic equivalency, and I would just use the New Living Translation, NLT, as one, it's going to stylize, it's going to use idioms that are more more common to the English ear, mm. and so it's going to be easier for you to read. So with technology, Bible Hub is free on any device, and you can have like 15 different versions at the top of your page. <laughs> it's pretty amazing. Yeah, and so you can read them, but find one that you like. And, and I'm a real big proponent, Alex, get a physical Bible. Yeah. Get a, a paperback if you don't want to spend money, a fake leather one. If you want to really spend money, get a, a sewn, a Smith, S-M-Y-T-A, Smith sewn Bible. It'll last you a whole lifetime. But that said, a physical book without technology keeps me from checking my phone, my watch, my email, my text message, whatever. Get a Bible and a pen and sit down. We can talk about how to, but I would say that those are the the kernels. Is find something that's easy to read. NIV is is a easy read Bible. Just without being too unkind, it's not my favorite translation for a lot of reasons. But NLT is a great easy to read Bible. My wife 
has shifted over to using the NLT in her morning devotions because mm. she likes how easy it is to read without falling into the trap of studying a word or going down a rabbit hole. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So if people are really getting into it and they're, they're just saying, man, like, I just want to, I just want to do something that I'll stick with. Yeah. And, and this is my first time doing this. Sounds like NLT, NLT is a would be one. a great one. Take a look at it. And again, start with Bible hub and see which one you like. Yeah. And, um, why yeah. in a, so you're someone that is probably reading and you're probably still studying whenever you're reading, I would assume. Why NASB is your go-to? So a number of reasons. The New American Standard Bible, it is a little wooden, a little arcane in some sense. It's not King's English, the thou hast dust. It, <laughs> it got rid of that. But the, the one example I use is the word loving kindness. In the Old Testament, loving kindness is chesed in Hebrew, chesed. And I would argue that's the single most important word in the Old Testament. In the New America Standard, it's always translated loving kindness. In the ESV, it's always translated steadfast love. Most Bibles mess with it. Mercy, love, kind, joy, they completely ruin the word. And so you're, you're, it's, it's not a sin or wrong. It just, it's misleading. I want to know, oh, loving kindness is a cumbersome word. What does that mean? Mm. It's a big theological term. The other thing about translations today, and this is one of my huge hobby horses, they're all getting rid of the divine pronoun. He, you, your, him, when it refers to God, they're dropping that capital letter H or U to a small case. Now, that's not a crime or a sin, but when I'm reading prose or Psalms, who's the he? Who's the him? Who's the you? Who's the your? Your mercies are new, or... I'm thinking of one I read a while back that just infuriated me. You know, it's the imprecation psalm, and he's talking about his enemy. I don't know if that's God or the enemy. Mm. And I've had discussions with trans with uh, these publishers, and their answers are it clutters the Bible. It never cluttered the Bible till 2021. But anyway, sorry, <laughs> I, I get amped up. So New American Standard is the only Bible on the market. I think ESV just caved recently to lowercase divine pronouns. Mm. So again, it's not wrong or a sin. It's just sometimes I don't know who that who that referent is. Yeah, yeah. The New American Standard will capitalize the referent when it's he, him, you, your, and you'll always know when it's referring to God. Gotcha. Okay, and then if people have not been in a rhythm of reading it routinely and regularly, right. a lot of times whenever they do get in this state of motivation, yes. their strategy is, let me open up to a random page and see what it has for me. And, and that, that, yeah. like, it's like, sometimes that random page can be pretty dark. What right? you do, it's do like, quickly. Yeah. yeah, and so- He hung himself. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. right. It's like, yeah. whoa. Uh, and so what would a better strategy be for choosing where they're going to be reading and what they're going to be spending their time okay. on? For, for for the the engineers, the compliant, the bookkeepers, the you know smart you know CPA uh, doctors, those kind of folks, um, we can talk about reading programs, and there are oodles of them. In fact, on our in context site every uh, December, January, we put a whole host of free ones that you can download, print out. I used Robert Murray McShane's for years. It's two readings a day, and it takes you through the Old Testament once the New Testament Psalms and Proverbs twice in a year. Mm. That takes an American reader probably 30 minutes each sitting. That's a lot for most people. So stepping down, Proverbs is always the beginning place that I tell people. 31 chapters, there's 
28 days in February. Everybody else, is, every other month is 30 or 31. You can read one chapter of Proverbs in four to 10 minutes if you don't get stuck and stop and dig in, right? Or pull and, out your phone. Yeah, well, yeah, all those things. So um, it's in and, and the wisdom literature, uh, it's, it's so lovely, these little strophes and these parallelisms and the repetitions and saying it a little differently. So it's it, the reason Solomon, who, by the way, was the wisest man on the planet, second to Christ, the reason he penned the Proverbs, the, the wisdom of one becomes the wisdom of many. And so he distilled down these business principles, if you will, into these little snippets. And um, so it's super easy. Now, the other thing I would say, so those are programs, those are schedules. Let's change this, change the approach. What are you interested in? Are you interested in marriage and family? Are you interested in old earth, young earth? Are you interested in evolution or creation? Are you interested in whatever? Mm. There's a way to study the Bible, to read the Bible that will coincide with your interests. I, I was talking about light the other day in a message in this guy came up who was obviously a scientist and he he was telling me you know light is this thing is it is it energy is it a particle is it an element we don't even know what it is we, we still can't define light and one of the issues is you know that lights billions and billions and billions of years away new science is showing no it's instant we've measured it with somewhat of a contrived human measurement 5,252nd feet per second per second or something. I've got the number wrong. But the point is we've measured the time it takes light to travel, and the scientists are saying, no, it's instantaneous. Now, why is that important? Well, for him, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all, and, and for and John. So he's going, whoa, 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 whoa. God from eternity past used light to explain who he was. Now, he's not light, you know, like mm. worshiping the sun, but he's saying I am constant. I am present. I can dispel darkness. All these different metaphors. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Mm. So um, any subject you're interested in, and again, I'll give you a couple of sites, Bible.org and then Faith Life Bible. Faith Life Bible has a free app. It's the architecture of the Logos Study Bible, which is what I use, but it's a free app with their Bibles. Lexham Press is their own press. They've got a whole assortment of free things you can use online. You can develop reading plans, and you can study a subject. So let's say you're a young earth, old earth, I don't know, or, or, or let's use a better one. How do I know if I'm really saved? So you type in eternal security in the faith life study field, and you'll have a host of passages to go read. Mm. But I think that's so important because it requires you to take the time to say, what am I interested in? And it connects back to what you said in our first episode is you're kind of in, in some ways, interest is a reflection of need. Yeah. Like if you're rich, covered, your marriage is great. You don't realize that you need anything. Then it's like, why do you need to look at this book? But it's like, if you have the guts to say, there are areas where I am inadequate and deficient. Well, then there's a lot to be yeah. interested in. Yeah. Right. And well, you're talking to leaders and leadership and they're, are so many things about leadership in the Bible. Oh, my lands. Now, Nehemiah is not primarily a book on leadership, but the leadership principles of Nehemiah are inexhaustible. Uh, if you look at Solomon's life, the book of Nehemiah is extraordinary study in what to do and how to do it. There's a famous passage. There's actually a publishing house years ago called Sword and Trowel. Mm. 
And it was taken from when they were being threatened by Sanballat. Let me back up. The story of Nehemiah is the rebuilding of the wall that is in disarray. And uh, Nehemiah is this pugilistic, uh, strong leader. And he goes in there and he's a fighter. We're going to get this wall back up to where it's functional. And he's brilliant in his strategies for how he gets it done. So you, you go into this setting where local people are building the wall in front of their house. Well, now they're, they're, they hear a threat and they're afraid. And so he says, all right, you're going to have a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other. And when you're, when you're working, someone else is going to have a sword to watch your back. Mm. So that sword and trowel became a moniker for this publishing house in the Puritan Reform period. And it's interesting how there's so many things in the Bible that like, that makes perfect sense. Mm. The wisdom of Solomon, whose, whose boy is this? Two prostitutes, right? Whose boy is it? Give me a sword. Mm. Boy, did he reveal the motivation and heart of those two women. So there's so many principles in leadership, and there's lots of books written on it. So all that to say, whatever your area of interest is, the Bible doesn't just become a supplement. It becomes your guide. It becomes God's word to you to say, how am I a leader? How am I a good husband? How am I a better father? How am I a good employee, etc.? And so... Programs and checking boxes are helpful for a good segment of the population. Mm-hmm. Um, for those that struggle with that, what is your interest? Now, now let me tell you a little bit about my, my approach. Each year, I take one thing that's new and or threatening. For example, for years, I never could get through Isaiah. It was just too big of a book. It seemed to say the same thing again and again and again and again. So I said, I'm going to spend one month reading Isaiah over and over and over and over again. I spent two years in Isaiah, and I didn't want to turn the page. Same thing with Ecclesiastes. I was intimidated by Ecclesiastes. Now, I used, I, I know Hebrew. I work with Hebrew. And so I said, I don't like this book. It doesn't make sense to me. It's too complicated. And I started out, I spent three years in the Hebrew text in and uh, Ecclesiastes, and I didn't want to stop. Mm. So taking on something new each year, and maybe you're going to read just the Gospels or just the Psalms or just the Proverbs or just maybe try to figure out the Kings. You're going to read the first and second books, Samuel, Chronicle. Yeah, they're very cumbersome. There's great tools out there to help you put them together. So at the end of the day, a program may help people, but find out what your interests are, and then let's graduate Learn something new. Mm. Dive into that area. Be challenged a little bit. Well, and it strikes me, too, that one of the things we talk a lot about with the leaders that we work with is the difference between a destination mindset and a practice mindset. And it's like, if you have a destination mindset, you don't spend two years reading Isaiah. It's like, let's finish Isaiah maybe in a a few days. Right. But it's like, you kind of almost have to view it as practice. Like I'm just, I'm just reading daily and I'm becoming the type of person that reads the Bible. And it just becomes something you do, not somewhere you're trying to get. Is that fair to say? Oh, totally. And it's process and product. I think about there's the process of studying it, but are products okay i need to respond to this text from a super basic method uh we call it bible study methodology there are three key steps observation interpretation application so when i read the bible i'm observing it who what where when why how what's going on what's the story what's the context who wrote it what's going as best i can then you're observing you're not you're not trying to find meaning you're just reading it for face value now, if you let's just say we're using an hour as, as a 
illustration. If I have an hour of time to read and study, I would spend about maybe 40 minutes in the observation stage, not trying to figure out meaning or applying it. Just what is it saying? What's it about? What's that word? What? What? And then I'm going to try to look on interpretation. What does it mean? Mm. Too many people jump to meaning right away. I have this phrase, Alex, that um, context covers a multitude of interpretational sins. Because hmm. people will say this verse means, or it means to me, that that's our trigger for me. Uh, when people are, <laughs> you mean the, you don't love oh, when people say, they, say that? Oh, they read it. What's this mean to you? I don't care what this means <laughs> to you. What does it mean? I mean, we we got some interesting. I think someone put that up on our Instagram account the other day, and I got some na- nasty comments about it. And I go, I don't care. Uh, I don't care what you think it means. What's it mean? Yeah. Now, okay, man. There's so much in that though, because like that idea is founded on the idea like there is something that is true, and and man, that's a pretty. It's crazy to say, but that's a pretty wild, maybe even countercultural idea, and will become more countercultural. It's completely countercultural, and, and completely. So, but I mean, uh, like, what does that do for a person whenever they decide to surrender to the idea that there is something that is absolutely true, and my feelings or interpretations or things like that are really irrelevant compared to that truth? You have just diagnosed the current decade, and maybe going back twenty years to. In Michael Easley's puny brain opinion, this is the issue. Are my experiences and my emotions that important? And I go back to what we talked about earlier. Consumerism, materialism, prosperity have created a foundation that I, me, my is important. How I feel, how I experience We've all heard these stories about someone's depressed and they haven't read the Bible and they're going through a divorce or their child's got cancer or they lost their job and they go away to a lake house and they're all depressed and discouraged and they're sitting on the porch in the back of a cup of coffee and a red bird lands right on the rail and looks at them and God visited me. Now, before I cough up a hairball on your program, <laughs> I'm not trying to be unkind to people who are hurt and minimize emotion. What I'm saying is emotions change. You don't make decisions purely on emotion. Mm. And experiences are just that. They're an experience. They might be a good experience. They might be a bad experience. I would so love to have these people that told me, God led me to do X, and I did it, and then it went bad. And you know what they typically say? They won't say, oh, I was wrong. They say, well, God led me, you know, from D.C. to Chicago because he knew I wouldn't go straight to Nashville. This is just stupid. Why are we working so hard? So is the word of God, the authoritative word of God, uh, God has spoken, as my professor Howard Dunick said, and he did not stutter. Mm. The other thing he said that I've so appreciated over the years is that um, this is not what God would say if he was here. It is what God is saying because he is here. Mm. So this Bible, which is what we're talking about, right? It's living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's able to judge the heart's intention of the mind, dividing is both joint and marrow and, and soul and spirit. Th- this book is sharp. It's true. It's alive. It's a living document in the sense that uh, Spurgeon said, no one ever outgrows the scripture. It widens and deepens with our years. Mm. Mark Twain said, it ain't those parts of the Bible I 
don't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so to begin with, you've got to, and your, your comment was spot on. It is not about how you feel. It is not about your experience. It's about aligning yourself to the God of the universe. If I, if I, I have an incredible primary doctor, he's brilliant, internal medicine, brilliant man. I go to, to Bert and I say, Bert, here he does all the tests of this. He says, Michael, this number is bad. This number is too high. We have to fix this number. Now, well, Bert, I don't like, I don't feel, I, 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 you know. I don't, you mean he doesn't yeah, ask you your yeah, opinion no, on the number? No, no, no. I said, you know, well, can we do the blood test again? No, it's a blood test. It's, it, you know, and so we had this collegial little fight. And he goes, you need to either do this or do this or take these medications. But that's, that, I'm concerned. Now, he's done, he's been to med school. He's done residencies. He did fellowships. He's board certified, et cetera. Am I going to trust him as the expert? Now, I do. And are you going to trust that that's true? Like, is the number truth? And if you can't say that the number is truth, then you're, you're that's what we always teach. Because we tell people, man, you need to have a habit of reading truth every single day. And we tell them, like, we believe the Bible. You do not have to believe what we believe. But boy, you better have some source of truth. You got to have standard. Yeah. And so, and, and what's so cool is I've seen like, man, you start searching for truth and you actually start taking that question seriously. It almost always ends at the Bible, which is pretty cool. But, yeah, but yeah. then the, the principle that we use as the backing for why you should read truth every single day is we say exposure to truth guards against insanity. And, yeah. and I've just seen that play out of my life where it's like the world isn't, I mean, it's insanity and it's becoming more insane by the day. Mm -hmm. And it's like, unless you have this daily, I mean, truly reforming your soul and mind, yeah. you just go crazy. Well, our, our tagline for In Context is don't let the world teach you theology. And um, the problem with experience and culture and you know what's appropriate today or what's true today, wasn't true tomorrow, another trigger for me is, is well, what's true for you? I'm going to be true to myself. That's nonsense. That's insanity. Right? That's insanity. So you're saying live you're, your truth might yeah, oh, not be the best I'm, advice I'm in gonna, the world. I'm going to cough up my second hairball of the day. Yeah, there's no such thing as your truth. You know, I, I use the illustration of a ruler. So there is, and I'm probably going to get this a little bit incorrectly, but there's a U.S. Department of Measurements and Weights, I think it's called. They have the ruler, believe it or not. If you're going to make a tape, uh, for for you know people that sew, if you're going to make a measuring tape for you know contractors and frame carpenters and wallpaper hangers and homeowners, if you're going to make uh, uh, rulers for school and protractors, you go to the ruler. This part of the United States Bureau of Measurements and Standards, whatever it's called. Mm. Why is that important? If we just get it off a sixteenth of an inch. Three people working on a garment using different rulers, we're going to have a problem. Three people working on a house with different tapes that are off, we're going to have a really big problem hanging doors and so forth. This book is the ruler. Mm. It is the standard. God spoke. He did not stutter. God's word is true. It's affirmable. It can be confirmed. Um, 
And I think we know that. Like, even if you're not a Christian, you know that there is a right and a wrong. There is a good and evil. There's there's bad and there's not bad, right? And so we have we have an, an inherent nature or idea of there is a standard. And what's so cool about being someone that believes in the Bible, you don't have to believe in the Bible, but if you do believe in the Bible, you're like, oh, well, this is the standard. Like, we have it and we have access to it. If you don't believe in God, you don't believe in the Bible, just read Proverbs. You can approach Proverbs as just a corpus of wisdom. Mm. And you'll learn, you know, you'll learn the, the, the picture of the fool and the naive, uh, you know, you, you can't fix a fool. You're going to have customers and clients and employees who are fools. And metaphorically, you can beat them with a hundred blows. It won't make them think any differently. So what does that help me in life with? Some people are really difficult to deal with and they're fools. Now I'm not going to run saying, you know, you know <laughs> Joe, you're a fool. You know, I might think that, forgive me, but I might think that, but I'm not going to say it. But how does that help me as a leader? Uh, I can't change that person. Now, where the emotion and experience do come in is this perception. And I think as we're exposed to the wisdom of Scripture, uh, I have this thing, Cindy and I have these you know cues because we know each other so well. And, and we're with a couple, and I'll just do this. I'm putting my finger on my nose on the side of it, meaning something doesn't smell right. Mm. And that's my discerning thing. And I don't know if I want to call it a gift or not, but I've got this discerning thing. We can be with people, and this is happening. And she would tell the story, we're sitting right here. She'd go, I hate it, but he's always right. When it comes to, we're in it with a couple, and there's something kind of, he, he doesn't, he goes, there's something wrong there. I can't, it's rotten in Bangor, I can smell it. And she'll go, oh, they're fine, they're fine. And like 99 times out of 100, it's true. Mm. I'm also the guy that when the refrigerator door opens, in my office, I can smell something bad in the refrigerator, <laughs> and my wife can't. So that said, there's a standard of wisdom that's true. Maybe you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Great. That's okay. This is wonderful. You can still learn, right? Uh, I had to come to faith in Christ. I hope you will too. This is still true. Mm. And you will learn how to discern as you're exposed to the wisdom of God's word uh, think of it as like the philosophy book of all ages. Why wouldn't you want to learn? That's Doctor, right. If this is the cure for spiritual cancer, why am I going to argue with it? Well, yeah, I, I heard someone who's not necessarily a Christian say too, like, man, if even if you're an atheist, it is almost intellectually irresponsible to say this this collection of documents that has existed for thousands of years that billions of people point to as their source of truth right. like it's irresponsible to just wash that off as like a oh, mythology and hogwash like yeah. that's not being a good student of the world even well if, I, I let i mean obviously elon musk and uh google and alphabet they're all crazy they're all wrong hmm. well wait a minute you know, you can't throw the whole thing out. So more importantly, though, this book has withstood the test of time. I, I'm a bit of, I'm not an archaeologist, but I, I love archaeology in the sense that I lead groups to Israel and Greece and Turkey. And I often tell people, they say, you know, they, they found this and it, pro it proves the Bible. And I go, no, the Bible proved the archaeology. Because hmm. this was written long before we discovered that potsherd or that inscription or that ossuary, whatever it was, we pulled out of the ground. And I, I just think back to the veracity of scripture, a document can be true and accurate and real, 
but we may, it, like Mark Twain said, it ain't those parts of the Bible I don't understand. Well, what about all the blood and all the killing and God was, he was a God of genocide. And I go, time out. Let's take those one at a time because there are really good answers for all of those objections that people throw at the Bible. I had a professor in college, brilliant man, and uh, he read the Bible over and over and over and over and over again. He didn't believe it. <laughs> but And I was a very young college student, Christian, and uh, and I remember talking to him, and I he said, oh, the Bible is the best book on the planet. <laughs> so here from a literary standpoint, the best book on the planet. Yeah, that's pretty wild. I heard a, I think it was Nietzsche was a proclaimed atheist, said God is dead, but he also called Ecclesiastes the truest of all books. And it's like, man, that would probably be worth paying attention to, even yeah. if you don't believe. Okay, okay I'm going to put you, I didn't tell you I was going to do this, but I'd love to put you on the spot just with what you were talking yeah. about with regard to being interested in something. Can we throw out a couple of topics that are hot topics for leaders that we get to work with and just have you point like, oh, maybe check out this book or, okay. or read this in the Bible. So I think one that comes up is that we find a lot of people that really struggle with uh, the idea of being emotionally present and aware and engaged with the people that they're with and especially with their family. Is there a book or reading that you would point them to within the Bible that you would say, man, maybe start here? That's an excellent question. Um, the, the Psalms are treasured for many reasons, but what what I tell people when you read the Psalms, there's ways to read it. I look at it structurally, typically. I'm looking at what's the, the theology behind it, but a very healthy way to look at it are the emotions. Anger, bitterness, revenge, uh, lament, petition. God, where are you? Why does the wicked prosper? And so when you read David, Psalm 51, for example, he's in trouble. Uh, this is after he's committed the sin with Bathsheba, right? And he says, um, I would offer sacrifice if I could. There is no sacrifice to offer for adultery and murder. He was supposed to be killed. Mm. So what he's saying in Psalm 51 is, if I could do something, I would, but I can't. So I throw myself on your mercy, knowing that I should be killed for what I've done. So what I'm what I mean by this, back to your point, is you can if you're if you take a little time in the psalms you'll see that emotion mm. you'll see that uh as for a book i would just put any book on eq and this you probably have these already in your mm. library it's been quite a while since oh, I've i was talking book of the yeah. bible is what okay. i was saying so um, psalms it sounds yeah, like psalm to me is and again i'm gonna overstate proverbs uh, i i don't think anybody can read a chapter of proverbs and not one or two of those just stop you in your tracks going oh i gotta think about this for a minute i mean uh, how many times does dave quote proverbs on his radio program yeah. it's, it's it's almost laughable because it's so solid and so simple and so transferable mm. so in second corinthians chapter eight there's a long passage uh chapter 11 there's a long passage where paul talks about i was beaten i was shipwrecked a day and a night i slept in the i was snake bit i was you know all these things he went through and he lists all these problems and sufferings and then he says apart from all these external things was my concern for all the churches alex that just floors me he's beat up he's poor he's abandoned he's in prison many times and he says even more than that how much i can i'm concerned about the local churches mm. and i'm like talk about a leader mm. here was a guy that could say all the external problems in life that are suck 
but I'm really concerned about what's happening to his church. So there are many places you can turn and just look at the emotion and look, and then finally look at Jesus and how he deals with individuals. In the gospel of John, we have a unique, a unique Jesus in the sense that the way John records it, he's talked, there's seven key people, there's seven IMs and there's seven key miracles. And each of those line up pretty clearly. And he's talking to the woman at the well about living water and then wait a minute you know go call your husband and have no you have five husbands whoa you know so he he read her mail but you're looking at how he dealt with a person when he Mm. talks to nicodemus here's a man a teacher of the law that should have known all this and he comes to jesus at night and says are you are you really the one yeah are you a teacher of the law you don't know this Jesus kind of upbraids him. So you're looking at the emotion of the individual coming to the Lord. And then he's never he's never mean to a legitimate emotion or a question or feeling. He's the only time he's angry is with the Pharisees and the Sadducees who are deceptive and brood of vipers, you know. Mm. He gets angry at them, but he's not angry at people in general unless they're of Satan. So that's helpful to know. Okay, how about marriage? Where would you point okay. people to if they're trying to either they want to be married or like most of the people we work with, they're trying to constantly work on, develop, and improve their marriage? Genesis chapter 2, you need to go to again and again and again, Ephesians chapter 5, and Revelation 19. So those three passages, interestingly, the Bible begins with a wedding, has story, failure, success, narrative about marriage, theology about marriage, and ends with a wedding. Mm. So I don't think that's happenstance. Uh, Ephesians 5 is perhaps the most maligned and over-abused passage. And I often tell couples, you know, it starts out in chapter 22, husbands, uh, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I say, stop. Forget the roles debate. Forget headship versus submission for just a moment. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up. For her. If the average husband would put his wife ahead of himself, not every day, every moment, you can't do it. It's impossible. But some of the time, if he would wake up thinking, how do I make Cindy's life a little easier? How do I help my wife? Where do I come alongside and encourage her? Gave himself up for her. So love, biblical love as a husband it's a sacrifice in putting your wife's priorities first. The foundations of marriage, obviously, were given in Genesis 2. The fall occurs in chapter 3, and everything's mucked up ever since. <laughs> and we're two selfish people. We're glued together, and we're trying to make our husband into our uh, a woman, and we're trying to make our wife into a man, and all these different tentacles with our crazy culture's view of gender and sexuality that you know will never end. So it comes back to what's your ruler? Mm. So Ephesians 5 is something, and when we don't do marriage counseling anymore, but when we did, we would make our couples memorize Ephesians 5 together hmm. because um, the, the the instruction to the wife is pretty short. The instruction to the husband is pretty long, hmm. and it's just a good place to go back to again and again and again and again. How about because they have so many demands on their time and on their energy, a lot of times focus can be a real challenge and they often get distracted. Where would you point people if they're working on focus and not being distracted or they're interested in that? It's a really good question, Alex. I don't know if I have a precise chapter in mind. You know, Ecclesiastes, it's funny. People either love it or hate it. There's no gray zone. (laughs) Ecclesiastes is the stuff of life. 
Here's the guy that has, you know, 700 concubines. Don't even start. Uh, how in the world, you know, he, he had wine glory, he had money glory, he had power, he had armies, and he goes, it doesn't mean a thing. Uh, better is a poor man in so many respects. Uh, don't envy a rich man. Put a knife to your throat if you look at a rich man's table. You see all the food he's got? Put a knife to your throat. Mm. It, that will not give you satisfaction. And he was the guy that had it. He went, this is meaningless. It's nothing. What's good? To enjoy life. I said the good stuff of life is to enjoy the stuff God gives you. The reformers have a great expression whenever you eat or drink or have a glass of wine, whatever they do. is We're doing this to the glory of God. I'm doing this to the glory of God. So I think for people that are... I will say this. is I'll be 65 very soon, Alex, and I've talked to countless people. I always think, you know, the you know the Paul Barnabas Barnabas and Timothy thing. Mm-hmm. Everybody needs a Barnabas Paul Timothy. Like it or not, you know I, I'm now the old guy, and so <laughs> all my mentors are dying or dead. You know you I've don't got, want to be the old guy that yeah. sees themselves as the young guy though. That's well, the that's a problem too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can't get a haircut that I'd like to have. My wife and daughter say no. Um, but that said, there, there's this realization when you get in your 60s to go, oh, if I would have slowed down in my 30s. If I wouldn't, I, I was, I was so busy and so important, and I was doing good things. And of course, you look around you, and those who are successful are working, you know, ninety-hour weeks. And if you're your own business owner, there was a great line. I think it was uh, Gordon McDonald line. You get to own your own business and work your own hours, 18 to 20 a day, you know, mm. and then you never can take a vacation or take any time off because you got to pay yourself, right? So these these dilemmas of, you know, being important and, and busy and distracted, it kind of goes back to the marriage question. Uh, I was talking to someone the other day, a, a young man who's about to get married. I said, this is early, but date your wife every week, uh, Wednesday lunch, Friday dinner, Date your wife. Take her out on a date every week the rest of your life. And Cindy and I did that very, very consistently most of our married life. Now that we're empty nesters, we go out to eat all the time. So it's not like we need a date night anymore. <laughs> uh, but but it it cultivated something that, you know, our marriage was important. Mm. And I think when you when you get distracted, when you get busy, when you've got so many emails to return or forms to fill out, or calls to make. Here's the thing. Tomorrow morning, the work will still be there. Mm. When that's what Ecclesiastes essentially, like that's the theme of that book, yeah. it seems like. is And and so that was going to be the next one that I asked you was if people are struggling with maybe a lack of fulfillment or a lack of meaning or they're like, what's the point of all this? Because they reach the goal that they had set and then they realize, man, I all I have now is just another goal right. to go get. And they kind of get tired I assume maybe Ecclesiastes for that yeah, one as well. Absolutely brilliant. And again, we're talking about the same things, Proverbs, wisdom, literature. Uh, I, I would I would take it one step further is that if we're reaching these goals and then they're unsatisfactory or they're, they're good, but now I got to have a bigger one, this is going to take me more to what your unique gifts, talents, skills, and ministries are and how you're serving the king, not just your own kingdom. Hmm. Because so much of entrepreneurship and business and and even families and good families are about them. Mm. And um, my life is a vapor. I'm fog on a mirror. 
I'm here for a moment. And uh, the, the older you get, when the runway gets shorter and you realize what is truly important, a lot of the things that we were busy with, they weren't bad or wrong or sinful. They were, they were really good things. They will be there tomorrow. I, when I was in Chicago working with Moody, I would I was working 18-hour days consistently, 16-hour days. And I, I joked about, okay, I got to go home so I can come back in the morning. You know, <laughs> um, I would I would go to work in the dark, and I come home on the train in the dark, and I barely saw my kids. It was horrible, and, and it was my own fault. Nobody else's fault. It was my fault. It, I had the choice, and those were the choices I made. And then I realized one day I was spending. I had a little small computer and I'd work on the train if I could answering emails. I could answer emails ten hours a day and never get caught up. Mm-hmm. And I finally went to my cabinet and I said, guys, uh, I'm not going to answer emails anymore. And they're like, aghast. <laughs> I said, you come into my office face-to-face and you say, that I need this from you, Dr. Easley. Because mm. I can't keep up with this. And I don't think they hired me to answer emails. Mm. I think I need to do other things for the Institute besides just answering internal emails and and they respected that. But the point is, as a leader, you have to make a decision and live with it that others are not always going to like, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where your core has to be. But I, I think that the busyness, the distraction, is that all there is? That is more of a reflection on for whom am I working? Mm. Okay, so related to that, and this is kind of the final one that I wanted to ask you about. You talked about in the first episode that we did about how so much of your core can be transformed by just having a living and breathing relationship with Jesus Christ and and being passionate about that. If someone's saying, man, I want to see my passion revitalized or reinvigorated, or maybe I want to have passion for right. that for the first time, where would you point them? You know, I find it interesting, Alex, when I go back to reading these key gospel verses always dismantled because I remind myself I deserved hell. I was on a freight train without a handbrake going to hell and God interrupted my life and called me to himself. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. Those verses careened in my head and heart and they still blow me away. I, I wasn't saved because I was better than anybody. God didn't look down the annals of time and say, Alex is going to be a very influential leader and he's going to change lives and I'm going to choose him. Uh, God picked a self-absorbed, licentious, drug-using, snotty-nosed teenager. And he said, I love you. And you're in trouble. And I have the remedy. So I go back to the ditch from which I was dug. And that's a little bit misapplication of that passage in the Old Testament, so forgive me. But the idea to go back, when I, I, I used to go back to Houston, where I grew up mostly, I was born in Atlanta, and I would sit, physically sit on the curb of my parents' house mm. for an hour and look at the street where I grew up, mm. knowing the drugs I got into, the nonsense I got into, the licentiousness I got into, and I would weep, Alex. And I would say, how can you use a sinful disgusting wretch like me so for me going back to my salvation always recalibrates me Mm. i deserved hell and he gave me heaven now how then is my life a thank you back to god Mm. i can't earn my salvation i i can't make god happier i can't make him i can't please him more 
but I can live in such a way that my life's a thank you. In business, how is your life a thank you back to Christ? Mm. And, and these goals you accomplish, and you go, well, now what do we do? Can you stop and celebrate and say, thank you, Christ, that I was able to get here, mm. and I want to acknowledge you. And the other part I would add to this, which may seem like completely off, you know, foul ball, is give more away. Give more away. You know, Cindy and I grew in our giving, giving, and we continue to increase uh, people don't like me to say this, but we give between 20 and 25% of our income away. Mm. And we love doing it because we look at it and go, we didn't deserve this. Mm. We weren't that smart. We didn't. Yeah, we worked hard. Yes, we worked hard. But we didn't deserve. We aren't better than other people. And so we love giving it away. And I've learned this from Dave Ramsey. I, we gave a lot away, but Dave taught me something that was like, hello, McFly, you idiot. Why do you think about this? Said, the organization you give to, you need to know what they're doing with your money and how they're using it. Mm. I liked XYZ. Then I found out what they did with the money. Oh, no, 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 no. Recent organization just made some big social splash. They're never getting another dime from Michael Easley. Mm. Done. Don't ask me ever again. And that's probably stewardship. Bingo. Yeah. It ain't my money anyway. Mm. So how, and you're basically investing. So anyway, so, you know, come back. How are you thanking Christ? How are you living to the glory of God? Enjoy this day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Some of us are never satisfied. Some of us are lazy. Some are too busy. God love us all. That's also one of the things that's really cool about the Bible. Um, just kind of talking about the practicality of it is it's like, I, I I haven't seen another book that there's so many other books and things written about that book. Oh, yeah. And, and I know Zach and his wife, Taylor, who I know you're close with. Zach is our COO. People have heard him before on this podcast. They told me about a resource that I think they got from you called the Tom Constable Notes. Yes. That I have just enjoyed so much as a resource to help clarify and understand what you're reading are there any other supplementary resources that you would say use this in conjunction with your bible reading to really amplify so because we all like free stuff i point people to constable's notes which by the way he updates every year that man can he has the gift of sits and flush he can study for hours and hours and hours and hours and hours uh uh, there's a little single uh, not a little a book called um talk through t-h-r-u talk through the bible it's a single volume book and for people that want to know this big picture idea, what's this book about? It's a very helpful resource. Bible.org has got tens of thousands of sermons and themes, and they're all downloadable. It's all free. And then the Faith Life Study Bible or Logos.com. Mm. And uh, I'll warn people, if you're a bit of a nerd or a BSF or preceptor, you know, those uh, uh, other different groups like that it's a little bit like crack cocaine because once you start buying resources <laughs> you want to keep buying them and buying them and buying them basically i've got you know 150,000 resources on my computer with logos mm. so i've got all this library at my disposal but um yeah th- th- so those are sort of the benchmark ones that I-, I encourage people to and then again when you go to a, a subject so like if you're into old earth versus young earth Answers in Genesis is a great resource. Creation Institute's a great resource. If you're really into apologetics, Ron Rhodes, R-H-O-D-E-S, is a dear friend of mine. Ron is a very brilliant man who writes for the masses. Mm. So if you have a friend in Jehovah's Witness, or you are, or Catholic, or how, what's it like? What's heaven like? 
you know, Ron's got a book on it, and it's a consumable book. It's a trade paper book. They're very digestible, and he's very accurate, Ron Rhodes. Wonderful. And we'll put the links to all of those in the show notes. You also mentioned in the first episode about a series that you did on the entire Bible, kind of high level and what stands out within each book and how to read through each book. What was that series right. called? Thanks. Yeah, we call it the big book, uh, cover to cover. And I went through each book of the Bible uh, one Sunday at a time, and then we edited it for the podcast. And uh, and then the other thing we did that was fun, Alex, is we brought a subject matter expert in. Mm. So I'm teaching this. Uh, we met a woman named Dr. Witter, and she has studied the book of Daniel for over 10 years. And we had her on the podcast, and my jaw dropped. And I said, where were you before I preached the book? You know, I mean, she was unbelievably well-versed in that book. So you get Michael Easley's little flyby, and then you get a subject matter expert who studied these books. And sometimes it's been their whole career ministry to study a book. And they came on as subject matter experts. So you have my 65 sermons, because I did combine 2nd and 3rd John. And then you have all these experts that come alongside the big book series to, to fill it in. How cool. So we'll put the links to all of that in the show notes. Before we go today, what we've described in the past two episodes, talking about why this matters and, and how to apply yourself to it, uh, I think it would be incorrect for us to end by saying this is so easy, now just go and do it. <laughs> because that's probably unrealistic. Like this is hard. And so if you're sitting across from one of our listeners having a cup of coffee with them and they're saying like, man, I just have so much to do right now. I don't know how and why I should make time for this. What would your challenge be to them or your encouragement be to them to actually apply themselves to this? A couple things. Number one, uh, C.S. Lewis said, to say I don't have enough time is like a fish in the middle of the ocean saying there isn't enough water. We all have 24 hours in a day. Uh, you might sleep four like me or eight or 12 like one of my daughters. Uh, you know, kidding. Uh, I have a daughter <laughs> who loves to sleep. Uh, but you still have the same amount of hours in a day. Uh, Martin Luther, uh, not the uh, civil rights guy, Martin Luther, the reformer, uh, and I'm going to get this wrong. Forgive me, Martin, and those who know Martin Luther better than me. Luther said that um, I think he spent four hours every morning in study and prayer personally before he did anything related to his job as a teacher. And one student asked him, how do you have time to do that? And he essentially said, if I did not do that before I began, I could never do what I did during the day. Personal preparation. Anyone who plays an instrument, if you're going to be, a lot of people play the piano. How many Van Cliburns? A lot of people can play, you know, can can sing, you know, whatever. How many are the top tier? I think it was uh, Bennis and Nanis said the difference between the average successful person and the super successful is less than 10%. They're doing that which others will not do. So back to the Bible, I would submit it's not really that hard. What it is is a choice. For me, if it doesn't happen in, in the first of the day, it never happens. For me, if I turn on the technology, I'm never going to read it. It's got to be this book that I have physically in my lap and a set of color pens I have that I like to use. And then when I finish marking it up, I get a new Bible and I start over again. Morning by morning, I, I just don't think you can live the Christian life apart from constantly nourishing yourself in faith and sound doctrine, as Paul told Timothy. So it's not that hard. It's just a choice. Mm. It's a, it is a discipline. 
But as Fred Smith said, maturity is turning discipline into reflex. It's not that you have to. It's you get to. It's not that you should. It's that you can. And that, to me, is the paradigm shift. And God's not mad if you don't do it. God doesn't fold his arms and walk around heaven. You stupid Michael, you need to read the Bible today. God loves you. He's mm. a perfect father. And why wouldn't I want to spend time with my father? Mm. Well, Michael, thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your time. And thank you for your example. I know we're all better for it. Let me close with one uh, one verse. And this is from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul has a whole list of verbs but he says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all you do be done in love. All five of those are imperative terms. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, do all that you do in love. And the act like men thing, I know for our politically concerned audience, he's not talking about chauvinistic. He's talking about being strong. He's talking about standing forward and smiling at the future. So be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And let all you do be done in love. Mm. Thanks, Michael. Okay, so we said this episode was going to be practical. And what's so cool is he gave us the tools to be able to do that. So here's what I want you to do on the backside of this episode. I don't just want you to just say, oh, that was nice, and then move on as normal. What I want you to do is exactly what he said. I want you to think about a topic that's especially relevant to you in the season and stage of life that you're in right now. Maybe it's something you're deeply interested in. Maybe it's something you're afraid of. Maybe it's something that you're intimidated by. Maybe it's something you're thinking about a lot. Maybe it's something that you've heard discussed on the news or in your social life, regardless of what it is, I want you to choose a topic and then I want you to use some of the resources that he recommended to find sections of the Bible that are directly related to that topic. And then from there, I don't just want you to say, okay, that's the section and we'll just do that eventually. No, eventually equals never, right? So I want you to create a plan and I want you to create a plan that's going to occur daily right? We are about practicing healthy growth and practice is about what you do every single day. So I want you to create a really, really achievable rhythm for studying and attending to the passage and the section that you land on. And then from there, the thing that I'll tell you can be so helpful in creating and following through on that plan is make sure you have someone to talk to about it. Maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a coach, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a mentor, maybe it's a counselor, maybe it's a pastor. But man, this this is true for me in the Bible, but it's also true for me with everything that I'm learning and reading and listening to on podcasts is I really know I've comprehended something and I really know it will stick with me. If not only can I just absorb it in a state of isolation, but if I can absorb it and then have a competent and confident conversation about it. So those are my action items for you. Of course, we're going to put all the resources that Dr. Easley recommended in the show notes of this episode. And man, we're just so grateful to him. It was so cool to be able to sit down with him and his daughter in studio and just dive into this topic that is so incredibly important. And I'm so grateful that we get to share this content here at the beginning of the year because we truly believe that you never have to recover from a strong start. So Dr. Easley, thank you for your time. Thank you for your investment. And thank you for your passion for this book. 
Y'all, real quick before we go, many of you are aware of this. Every Wednesday, we send an email called Worth It Wednesday, and that's because I believe that most email isn't worth it. It's not worth your time, not worth your energy. Simply put, I hate email. And so we said, man, if we're going to have an email list, we better make one that's worth it. And so every Wednesday, we send a principle worth learning, a question worth answering, and a recommendation worth taking. And so many of you are part of this growing community. So if you want to sign up for that, the link to Worth It Wednesday is in the show notes of this episode, or you can go to pathforgrowth.com. Hey, remember this. We're rooting for you. We want to see you win. Remember, my strength is not for me. Your strength is not for you. Our strength is for service. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go.